listening to Thunder Radio, the podcast of the Manitoba First Nations Education Resource Centre. Applying Indigenous knowledge to sustainable development is our topic for this podcast, but don't worry, it's not as complicated as it sounds. As I learned, it's very much about working side by side with communities to figure out what works best for them, their land and culture, be it in Canada or in other parts of the world. And as you will hear, I learned about this from two very intelligent young ladies who are doing a master's program in Indigenous development at the University of Winnipeg. Before I met Adesawa and Vanessa, I didn't even realize there was a master's program that focuses on these issues. And so we had them in to talk about the program, but also many different ideas about Indigenous knowledge, food security, sustainable development, and how important these things are, especially today for our planet. So welcome here. Thanks for joining us uh, today on our podcast. It's very exciting to have. We have two students from the University of Winnipeg um, who are taking the Master's in Development Practice program, Indigenous practice program. No, I probably said that wrong. <laughs> I should have you introduce it. <laughs> so why don't you just say your names and then, um, uh, you know, either one can talk about uh, the master's program that you're taking. Okay. <laughs> um, hi, my name is Adesoa Arrow and um, I'm an international student in the master's in development practice program focused on indigenous development. Um, um, do you want to introduce yourself, Vanessa? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, my name is Vanessa Tate. I'm originally from Opipanapuyan Cree Nation in northern Manitoba, and I'm Cree. Um, so yeah, the Master's in Development Practice program, as well as, um, I'll, um, give a little bit of, um, insight to it, and then Adesawa could just add to it. Um, but what it is is that it's a, it's a two-year program, um, and the focus is on Indigenous development. So we do have a lot of um, um, the, a lot of our criteria is like Canadian Indigenous, but we also incorporate some international Indigenous um, as well. When we have international students, they bring uh, their insights into from their Indigenous communities based on the different um, courses that we're doing. So we focus in on like health um, science, um, management science, natural science, and as well as um, there's yeah, social sciences. So we have courses in all those realms. Um, they always say like we're, we're all gonna be generalists. Um, I just actually uh, saw um, a TED talk and I said we're gonna be multi uh, potentialites is what I, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting because you know we, we uh, dive into uh, d- different areas of um, um, those different areas and look at how it's um, from the indigenous perspective and you know the motto is do development differently um, I guess because it used to be the top-down approach so as practitioners we're being trained to uh, go into communities and uh, grassroots communities and basically work alongside them not say that this is what you need for your community so um, we're learning different um, techniques and practicing on each other in class and stuff like that um yeah and then there's two field basement components there's an international and a domestic and i'll just let odessa add a little bit more i don't want to take the realm of the whole thing sure yeah um uh, well you've said most of it um it's an interdisciplinary program you know it's a, it's a course-based program, so we don't have a thesis. So we have two field placements, one local, the other international. So I think that's one of the things I actually like about the program because sometimes you the other uh, other master's programs are just like um, thesis and you know, a lot of coursework and all of that. But it's, it still seems like we write a lot of uh, thesis because you're still doing a lot of papers because our coursework is like ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> you can't get away from papers. I yeah. Guess. yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, um, the um, field placement is very is a very important component. So, the local and international it just really gives you that context. So, the the difference between theory and practice, and you know, that makes you really think of you know all these things that you learn, but in practice, there's some things that really don't apply. You know, it, it's very contextual based on what you're doing, and you know all of that. But, um, uh. Yeah, the MDP program is one unique program. They would say it's like the MBA of development because it's a professional 
um, development program that you know focuses on how we want to do sustainable development you know all those buzzwords yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I am going to be asking you about your field placements in a little bit but first I wanted to um, find out why you decided to do this program what drew you to it um I I think for me, it started from my undergrad days, the two main courses. I did my undergrad is in sociology and um, two courses that I did, um, urban development and rural development. Those two courses were so interesting to me, you know, like knowing like the differences between those two in terms of like the um, complexities of like the social problems that are inherent in both societies and uh, uh, overlap in both of them and just on a global scale I always look at because I'm from a developing country I'm like why are we so different like what works here and what's not working here the whole purpose is not to come here and learn all those things and go back and replicate it but just to understand the context in which those things are happening so and I know that <clears throat> from my work in the community I feel like indigenous peoples are very um are in many ways disadvantaged and um um marginalized and I always want to do development at the grassroots level. So that's one of the things that prompted me to do the masters in in University of Winnipeg because it's the program's actually different from other um MDP programs across the world because this is the only university that focuses on indigenous development. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, and it's in Winnipeg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. Wow. So Vanessa, what, why did you decide this program? Um, when I actually, when the, when I saw um, a flyer of it, I was like, because my background and what I have um, in my undergrad is Bachelor of Commerce. And it was very um, mainstream and it was very corporate and it was very profit driven. Um, and the whole time I was in my undergrad, I always thought, what about community? What about community? <laughs> uh, because I always said, you know, walking, go forward, you want to go with your community. So, and as well, um, I uh, was a national youth panelist um, for the Council for the Advancement of Native Development Officers, CANDU. It was the first, it's a national organization that um, deals with economic development um, and certifies average economic development officers. So I started getting interested in um, that field, like economic development and community development in particular um, is not really um, a discussion that or, or a career that's talked about. So when I saw this program, it just links all of everything of development and um, not from a corporate perspective, but more from a community perspective. So um, that's how I said, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try it out and then, you know, I'll... I'll um, apply into it so that's what really was my interest and in, as well as looking at the community and realizing that you know there's a lot of times when uh, development projects come into community and um, communities um, would like to you know um, engage with the people and stuff like that so capacity development and stuff so it was really an interest for me and just getting to know like the environmental stuff because you know being a commerce grad you learn the learn the businessy stuff and um, as well as the the social science stuff and uh, it was and health as well because you know a lot of projects you know um, affect the health of the community as well so that was my interest when I first came in yeah great and um, when when all is said and done when the program is when you're finished um, when you've got through all the work what what do you hope you will accomplish. Um, for me, I think uh, just building, you know, skill because like there's something <clears throat> uh, my program director Clarita always says, you know, we're not building you to be like experts in all of this, you know, because we take so many courses in different areas, different disciplines, you know, but just to build skill in all of those places that because even when you go into the real world and you're working on real life projects like it, it cuts across different things and you're not, you know, streamlined into one place. So all of these skills later will come up and you will find them very useful later on. So I would say that to build skill and also just, you know, expand my own reasoning. And one thing I always um, do is to challenge myself to learn about other people, other things outside of what I know, you know, so... Um, yeah, I know that the MDP program is already helping me fulfill that because, you know, 
uh, being in the MDP program through my field placement, I've got to meet like really amazing people that have built long lasting friendships and, you know, just interacting with people on a daily basis and doing community work and, you know, building those relationships and all those things. So I feel like I'm doing that. So regardless of knowledge and skill and all of that, I'm also building a network of people that you're going to be able to, you know, take advantage of because it's development work. You can never do it alone. You need people to do that. So you need to build that network of people, like your A-team in quote, that would help you, you know, accomplish whatever it is. So yeah, that's, that is it for me. Yeah, great. And Vanessa? Everything, just kidding. No. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, once, I guess, personally, once I complete the, the program, I had already, I do a lot of everything that I do. I think I do it for... Not just the benefit of myself, but the benefit as well of my community. And um, so, what I uh, hope to um, do in the future is to be able to uh, um, hand over my skills as well that I've learned through the Masters in Development Practice program to the community and um, do training for capacity development in my community. Um, and just trying to um, engage and make sure that our communities are um, are not uh, at a disadvantage anymore, um, where that might be, where that might lead me. Um, but I think like my, most importantly, uh, what I'd like to do is transfer my knowledge into the communities. Um, there's many jobs that, you know, look to that. Uh, personally, I would like to be able to just be a a free spirit and be able to do uh, go into different communities um, rather than um, do the nine to five. And so I'll be able to engage with a lot more different communities and learn from them as well. Because, you know, a lot of my knowledge is uh, from my my own community and from other communities that I, because I, I did, I have worked on it with for a national organization. So I was able to different hear different stories. So I'd like to do that a little bit more as well and um, be able to uh, empower um the young ones as well to go into uh, a field of community development and look to uh, do um, stuff like that because that's what our communities need. So that's my my focus is and I don't have a like a set job that I think I would do but more of like a teacher I guess because you know that's how I came to where I am is people have taught me and have provided knowledge to me so you know I just would like to continue on with that that journey. Yeah. And uh, switching to your field placements now, I'll just have you talk about uh, which, what you've done, um, who you've met, where you've been, what kind of projects you worked on, that kind of thing. Um, okay, I have done just my domestic field placement. So I did mine here in Winnipeg, which was last year from May to um, July. And um, I worked with the um, organization, the International Institute for Sustainable Development, IISD, and um, I was um, assigned a, a national um, project called um, We Are Cities, the Cities for People, which is basically looking at how to make urban cities better because like more than 70% of the population of Canadian population apparently lives in urban cities. So how do we make this place more sustainable in terms of how we live, we work, you know, our environment, jobs and all of that kind of stuff? Um, because I volunteer for CKUW radio station and um, I was introduced to Michael Champagne, who, oh, yes. yeah, so he oh, was, he's so great. <laughs> I know, <laughs> he was, he's on the show, um, he hosts the show Inner City Voices, so um, it was just a good fit for what I was doing, so I got introduced to Michael, and since then we've been co-hosting the show together, and um, so I use that as an avenue to, like, just um, increase my, um, um, would I say audience in terms of the people that I wanted to be to participate in the project I was doing, so the roundtables and just getting to meet people like on social media, so use, taking advantage of the um, station's um, social media presence and talking to people about it and just letting people know that they could communicate to me too, even if they could not be physically there at the roundtables, but they could send in their like opinions on what what they understand of what Winnipeg is and you know how they want it to be in the future. So that was what I did. So I got to meet a lot of interesting people at Monkman. Um, I, I started going to meet me at the Bell Tower. Um, oh, yes. uh, so yeah, so I've met a couple of amazing people and it's been, it's been fun ever since, yeah. 
So I haven't uh, actually physically been um, to a field placement yet. Uh, my first field placement is going to be um, uh, this spring and summer, and uh, it, it was a self-directed. So what I had done, like my dream and goal, was to go go to New Zealand, right? So what I did was, you know, I sent uh, I had a, a bunch of people who knew people there and I already had connections. So um, one of the ones that got back to me um, uh, was uh, the where I'm going actually, uh, the one I chose was uh, the Wakato Tanua College for Research and Development and that's um, in New Zealand. What I'll be doing is um, just considering entrepreneurial activities and the viability of turning these other traditional practices into businesses for the local Maori and the greater Iwi. So um, yeah, so I'm learning it. It's interesting because, you know, to be able to, I, have, I haven't left Canada, so <laughs> it's going to be a very interesting uh, trip for me. Um, I'm going to be going there for for about three months. Um, so we're going to be, you know, working and living and breathing Maori culture, <laughs> which is great because that's what, uh, that was my goal was to uh, be able to, to just uh, be embraced by a different culture and as well as um, bring what I can bring to the table and help them out with their, um, with my um, skills and my knowledge as well too. And then just look to see, you know, just to be uh, able to learn from each other is like the most important thing and then just see what what comes of it um so i'm very excited like i'm, I'm very scared too i can't say i'm a, not only <laughs> but i'm like you know because it's like you know a whole new world a whole yeah. new um uh, right now it's their summer so it looks beautiful there when i go there it's going to be actually be their winter um so even to learn that i'm going to not going to have my summer season <laughs> very uh, just a little bit I'll catch the little bit of it uh, at the end there but just to be able to go there and um, just just um, engaging with um, the ladies from um, Sarah and as well as Amy and um, trying to, uh, learning their language as well like um, the Iwi is you know the greater um, so just I have like a little vocabulary book that I've started uh, New Zealand uh, Maori words so um, they're uh, they're excited to have us as well. I'm going as well with another um, student. Uh, her name is Leah. So she's going to be coming along with me and she's doing more of the youth, um, the education curriculum. But we'll be, we'll be working alongside each other. So um, yeah, so what I'm going to be doing um, is coming to the University of Winnipeg and um, sitting with their business and economics um, department and looking at the uh, undergrad degree for Indigenous students here in, here in um, I guess, Manitoba. And so how that looks, I don't know. But uh, we're gonna, you know, venture off into that. I like to do new things and I've developed different things in the past as well too around um, those programs. So I'm really excited. So I, I kinda, you know, have an idea of where those two field placements and are going to be. And um, yeah, I'll probably be able to tell you a little bit more about them once I do do them. <laughs> yeah, well, I hope you will. Yeah. <laughs> they sound amazing um yeah. and since it seems to be such a like you mentioned such a big focus of the program to actually go and and do work in the communities and not just you know write a paper about them so exactly. it just it sounds it sounds wonderful it sounds awesome so we're gonna switch gears a little bit and talk um about some of the issues that i think might come up in your program you can correct me if i'm wrong but something that i've been learning about um recently is indigenous knowledge or traditional knowledge and in my own reading, I'm finding it that it's not something that's easy to define. And it's not something that um, has like a, a box that you put it in and say, this is what it is. But I am gonna try and, and I'm gonna ask you to try and do that and sort of, I guess, summarize if you can. Um, I'm really interested to know if like, for instance, in Nigeria, it's different than, than indigenous uh, knowledge in Canada, or if you, find similarities or mm -hmm. so what is it um you know when i was looking at um I'm thinking of these questions uh i was like because i actually wrote a paper last semester on indigenous knowledge you know and how it's so there are so many misconceptions around you know its definition and what what it is and how um, it what it does basically you know and um, I think the problem with with trying to define what indigenous knowledge is is even trying to name it because <clears throat> some people would reject that term indigenous and it can be, it can be very political because someone can say I don't identify as indigenous 
and some people identify as indigenous. Or you can call it traditional knowledge, and some people will interpret it as something, a knowledge as of the past and has no relevance or meaning in contemporary society. You know, so there are so many problems with trying to name it, and exactly what you said, like, you cannot just put it in a box and say this is what it is. You know, because I feel like it's so contextual, it's so different, because there are like similarities across um, different societies, but then in, in, in their innate sense, they're very different. So if I would try to define it, um, I would just say a knowledge that is specific to a particular group in a, in, in a geographical area, and it, it could um, cut across tangible and intangible aspects of culture. So like their land, you know, their language, it cuts across different things and their land use and all of that. So um, I, I don't know what I would call it. I would I, honestly, I wouldn't call it indigenous development, you know, but I don't know. I haven't figured out that part out yet, but I know that it's it's not just something you can't, you know, define accurately the way we try to do it in, in this Eurocentric, Eurocentric sense. You know, it, it, it doesn't work like that for indigenous people. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's my opinion. <laughs> Vanessa? Um, for me, like I said, indigenous knowledge. Um, I was looking at the question as well. And so you had asked if it was different from um, Canada and Nigeria. Uh, definitely they have their different cultures and they have their different um, values and you know beliefs and ways of doing things Um, it's even different within Canada within different indigenous groups Um, I'm gonna just gonna speak on uh, my personal perspective and just you know as I walk and as I you know learn different um, um, because all that I know is actually um, stories that have been taught to me um, from when I was a young until you know now, so I'm learning different. Uh, I'm I'm being gifted different knowledge from different indigenous people, uh, from elders to even you know young ones. Um, they just so I guess you know in my community you know we're uh, um, up in northern Manitoba, we're a very hunter gatherer society. Um, so what. You know, they have the indigenous knowledge there is the knowledge of the land and the knowledge of hunting and different um, um, ways of life there. So growing up that, you know, my brothers, that's what they do now. So to me, it's that's, you know, that's indigenous knowledge in my community. Um, and then there's the, the traditional and um, the indigenous knowledge and the teachings of, you know, growing up, we used to hear, we used to hear the stories of Nana Bush. So, you know, for me, that's, you know, was a teaching to teach us as we were, we were getting older. Um, and I come to different circles and meet different elders, you know, from Anishinaabe elders to Cree elders, um, to Dakota elders. So, um, they have their teachings of, um, of how, you know, their communities, um, and as well as spiritual teachings as well, right, and ceremony. So there's a lot of aspects to Indigenous knowledge, um, and I believe that it's, to me, it's, uh, for me, my Indigenous knowledge is my story. <laughs> so for me, I, I, I can say that, you know, that's my Indigenous knowledge is growing up is, you know, my story. Um, I, I, I think that it's uh, the different values and the different teachings and different gifts, and as well as, you know, along the way you get... Um, um, different um, ceremonies and stuff like that. So that's you know it, it is a it is a very uh, um, like again you can't you can't put it in a box because you know two people sitting together have you know might have a different um, indigenous knowledge for themselves right. So there's a lot of different aspects and I don't even want to be attempt to try and put something <laughs> in the box because <laughs> um, like I said it it's just. Uh, the different as you're growing up the different stories and stuff that are you're, you're being taught so I guess whatever is true to your heart is your indigenous knowledge mm-hmm. yeah and just to add to that like um like even um they usually say Africans are like generally indigenous uh I don't know how true that is but <laughs> but like I um like we don't call it indigenous there, you know, that's one of the problems too, with, you know, naming it or the terminologies that we use, you know, 
they're like tribes and, and ethnic groups and you know they have their own culture and way of doing things and you know they're they, the way they they um, their rights of marriage or how you know their traditional attire is like it's beautiful and colorful and all of that kind of stuff but you know they have their own language and it could be very similar which i noticed that that it's also come on here in Canada. So, you know, we always say sometimes how different we are, but there are also very strong similarities to, you know, the way here to coming to Canada. I, I never thought about indigenous people. I never thought that existed. You know, that's culture that you see here, you know, and I came here, I'm like, wow, like this is existing. You know, we're not so different after all, you know, because they have their own culture, their language, their, you know, way of dressing. And, you know, it's beautiful and colorful. And that's just the same thing back home, you know. So regardless of maybe there's some things that sets us apart, there are so many things that, you know, brings us together as well. So, yeah, there it's. It's, I don't know, it's amazing culture. It's just beautiful. Yeah, I'm curious. I know here a lot of, um, well, I guess elders are known to be more of the indigenous knowledge keepers and a lot of, mm-hmm. in, in some of the different um, First Nations. And is it is it the same? Yeah, yeah. definitely. You know, there's that one. Um, they're like elders in like different um, <clears throat> communities and um, villages and all of that, but you know, you, you usually have those one elders that have been there and they like know everything, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. about the history and all of that stuff. But yeah, definitely it's the same thing. They have elders and they are seen as the, you know, knowledge keepers. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Can you dest- describe um, how indigenous knowledge, if it's now I feel like, is it okay to use that term? I feel like it's is okay it, is for, it this, right? context, it's <laughs> for okay. this context. It's okay. For this context. How. Uh, the role it plays when it comes to sustainable development, which is also another difficult term to define. Yeah. But uh, if you could speak about that for, for a bit. Well, there's often the saying of um, the next seven generations um, here. And um, so I think like, like sustainable development that, you know, the, it's such, again, a vague uh, term, um, but what it is is like, you know, meeting the needs to, without comprising future generations. So that would, that's what came to mind to me was the next seven generations. What I do today is going to affect the next seven generations. Um, so I think with Indigenous knowledge, again, like, you know, making sure that our, that, you know, I, the teachings that, you know, I've been given that they were from, you know, previous generations and stuff like that. And so that we're, that we're actually, you know, empowering our youth and then um, providing them those stories and providing them those teachings and as well as um, understanding our, our, our communities and our, our values and our beliefs and our systems and our communities. And that, you know, no mainstream or no development project is going to intringe on those, um, on those, um, on allowing those to disappear let me just say that like in my community um we do have you know hydro development that's you know running right through my community and you know we've been uprooted from our old settlement and now we're in a new settlement and even there you could see um the devastating effects on um, our indigenous knowledge there um because again a lot of the young ones are um like before there used to be islands and then they're gone you know they take them out hunting and stuff like that so a lot of that is just uh it's not being lost, but it's, there's there's something going on, and I don't want to say it's being lost because it's still there, but um, it it really affected the community in that way um, because that was that was their livelihood, that was you know how they sustained themselves, because you know prior to you know again hydro development, there the stories that I've heard is that you know we never really depended on welfare, we weren't dependent on the programs and the systems that the government's giving us now, so we were able to. Um, um, be able to flourish as as a community and we work together there was you know the value of sharing and the value of respecting one another and the value of all those things so I think um, when you say sustainable development it's like as well to sustain our, our, our knowledge systems as well because we don't want to uh, allow them to again um, use a metaphor of run down the stream and no, you know not to be seen again because that's what is important is that we um for myself is important is that I, I, I do understand um, my roots and I understand where I come from and I'm grounded in that. 
um, area wherever I may go. I'll always still belong to, you know, northern Manitoba, um, even if I, you know, end up in New Zealand or, you know, I'll always know who I am and, you know, who my people are and stuff like that. So I think that that's what's important as well, is that that's how Indigenous knowledge plays a role, is that, you know, we're con- we're passing it on and then as well as we're not losing it because of, you know, mainstream's way of doing things, I guess, yeah. Um, just in addition to that, um, like coming from the perspective of the MDP program, you know, and the whole focus or um, the purpose is to do development differently than what it has been in the past, you know, and usually development practitioners don't, they go into communities and they don't understand their perspective and you have this Eurocentric thought that you're going to do something for them. Meanwhile, you think that, um, or you think that they don't know what they want for themselves, and you think that you're the one to dish out those things to them. And you know that I think that's it comes from the way we're schooled. You know, we you go into classrooms and there's this you know teacher-student relationship that's like master-servant relationship, and the student is seen as the ignorant one, and the teacher is like the one with all the knowledge. And usually, or um, typically it's you sharing knowledge with these people and knowing that you can learn from your students as well and not you being the embodiment of all the knowledge and all of that. You know, and that's the same way we're going to um, or uh, relate with communities and you think that you are the one to save them or let's help them, you know, but then they know what they want for themselves. And I think one significant part of that is listening. Like, I guess people... Development practitioners don't do that. You know, you just maybe based on what your donors want and you're trying to do that and you're not, you know, taking into consideration what these people want for themselves and how they want to go about it. You know, and um, someone was telling me a story of um, an, um, an indigenous community, I think in Zambia, where um, they had, um, they, there was problem of food security there. And um, there was this huge um, international organization that was like, oh, this is happening and we have to go help them get food and all of that kind of stuff. And they went there and like had projects of like planting tomatoes and all sorts, vegetables and all of that. And they did not really get to know from the community perspective why food security was such a problem there. And they just went there and spent all their resources and money and after the harvesting season, when they were supposed to like go and do all of that, the you know harvesting and all of that, they noticed that hippos, <coughs> hippopotamus had come in into those places and ate all of those things, and that was a problem. That was why they did not do farming because they had that problem of animals coming into their farming area and eating all of their produce, and not because they did not want to produce, but because that was a problem, and that was the um, you know consequence of. <clears throat> of the organization not listening, you know, you did not ask them why that is a problem. You think you want to go fix something for them, but you know, and they're like, you know what, do what you want, you know, and that was the consequence. And all of that money and resources went down the drain, you know. So I think that's an very, uh, a very important part of doing developments that you listen and not try to be the one with all the knowledge or think that you're the one that is doing all of these things, but try to work side by side with these people to you know realize things if not like projects would not be sustainable you go to places you do projects and give it like six months you know and the project is like non-existent because there's no continuity plan of how that is going to be sustained you know so it's very important that we work and involve community and let them participate in whatever it is that you're doing so yeah so that's how it's contributing getting their knowledge and doing things in communities mm-hmm. yeah yeah i'm going to Ask this question, but as you mentioned, you can say it from your opinion and not speak, like, for instance, on behalf of the whole country of Canada. But for, for I guess, Canada, how do you think they can include Indigenous knowledge in, maybe I'll ask um, about, Vanessa, you about food security and about climate change? Again, like, again, like I said, I'll speak on behalf of um, what, what I see. Um, but um, in my community... Um, we do have the Northern Star, and um, I hear um, about the different um, prices and every day. And even when I go there, um, I just will not go to that store. It's very the f- prices are very um, they're very high, um, and as well as already. Um, so within my community, we do have a pro um, a, f- a program 
Um, it's called Edento Bimi Twin. So um, what they do is they, uh, they harvest traditional foods and fish, and they give them to um, the elders and people who um, have um, like health-related um, issues and stuff like that. So, and as well as people who can't go and have the means to go out and get the traditional foods. And so they actually bring it in, like hunters will bring it in, volunteers, and then, you know, they'll, they, they have a meat cutter there so that it's properly packaged. And then the, the, the meat is distributed in the community. Um, so I think, uh, within that retrospect of that program, um, the community is being involved and the community is, um, harvesting the food and giving it to others um, who might not necessarily be able to access um, that, you know, moose meat. As well as I get some of, uh, my brother's actually a, um, uh, an amazing hunter. And so when I go home, I have, you know, the privilege of um, being able to raid his fridge <laughs> to get some, um, some wild meat and bring it back with me to Winnipeg because you know that's what's sustaining me here and because a lot of times you know I, I just I live off of that um so you know it's 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 amazing that we we're able to still do that um now again like I said it's not as as um as prevalent as it used to be like it's not as vast as it used to be um sometimes I have to even travel further to go and get um our traditional foods so I think like within our community like like the food security there, um, with the with the store bought foods, it's uh, really, it's really at a disadvantage for my community um, now. to To be able to um, to be able to have that program is is actually an amazing um, program for our community. Um, so I think that it's it's important to that you know some something like that continues on. In terms of um, indigenous uh, knowledge in like. Um, as regards to food security, uh, I think we're beginning to get that uh, that momentum. It's beginning to grow. You know, um, I know, for example, the University of Winnipeg just um, um, started like a, a cooperative um, course. That so for like I I work directly under the person Simon Birch. Um, he's like. Uh, What's his title? I'm not sure right now. But um, basically, we're looking at the cooperative model of or the um, yeah cooperative model as regards indigenous development. So how do we use indigenous, apply indigenous development in um, cooperatives as regards food? You know, so we're even working on a research paper right now, and we're taking case studies from different parts of the world. And actually, for Winnipeg, we're um, looking at the Nietzsche Commons and how they're creating that, you know, setting the pace for other cooperatives to, you know, take advantage of, you know, their food systems. And like even when I was working last year with IISD, um, I know that Brandon has like um, one of the uh, largest um, community gardens, and um, in Canada per se, not in the world. Yeah, and. Um, one thing that I said was unique to them was the fact that they have so many um, newcomers there. So their community gardens have like um, a mix of different cultures kind of food, you know, and they try to learn about the way um, other people's um, understanding of other people's food and, you know, teach them about how it's grown and, you know, try to eat some of them and you know that way you're encouraging that to, um, people to build relationships through um, you know community gardens and people come together and they interact with each other and I think um, that's very important in development just having those personal relationships with people you know so um, I think it, it's not something that you can see right now but it, it's in, in a matter of years definitely that's something that's growing in terms of food security people are wanting to take control of, you know, their own food and have that, you know, food sovereignty in terms of what they eat. And I know, especially, it's very hard in urban centers because they're like, um, not all places are like allowed for you to grow um, stuff because they're like city policies and all of that kind of stuff. But people are wanting to get involved with like um, having their own community gardens and, you know, doing that, that kind of stuff. So I know we might not see it now, but it's, it's there.
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it seems to be um, there seems to be more interest in people learning where their food actually comes from as well. So exactly. Yeah. Growing slowly, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. What do you think is the best? Again, another difficult question. <laughs> what do you think is the best way to bridge the more Eurocentric Western scientific way of thinking with um, the indigenous way? Because, well, this is my opinion, but I, I think the the two can learn from each other. But oftentimes, people don't see that or understand how, or if if there is a way to bridge them. Um, so the indigenous holistic kind of circular way of thinking. Um, I guess, do you think it's possible? And maybe just talk a little bit about how, if you think. Um, you know, that's that's something that comes up in our classroom a lot. You know, how are we going to bridge this? You know, someone says, you know, let's integrate. But someone says that's the wrong word. You know, you weave, you know, so everything is at par with each other. You're in the same level. But then in the true sense, in the practical sense, um, how are we doing that? So um, I would give an example of, you know, the um, um, indigenous requirement now that's happening at the University of Winnipeg. You know, and I heard that that's something that's actually underway also at the U of the, uh, um, you have University of Manitoba, you know, so um, that's one way, you know, of bringing these two into the same place. But then um, we also have to be careful of that in the sense that, you know, you're trying to bring things together and, you know, the true sense of what what it is you're bringing together gets lost in all of that kind of stuff. So it's also very, we have to be very conscious of how we're, you know, weaving per se, um, these two systems of knowledge, but I would say um, people should just have the choice to decide what um, form of um, education they want to get and knowing that, you know, one is equivalent to the other, that no one is superior to the other. You know, I can decide to go to maybe if we have like an indigenous university and I know that my degree is equivalent to someone who went to a Western university. You know, that's the same thing because people don't want to seem inadequate when they get to workplace. The world is getting so highly competitive and you don't want to, you know, be inadequate. So I think it's for us to have that understanding within ourselves that these two systems of knowledge, you know, it's not like they're fighting each other, you know, there there are two ways of doing things. They're not necessarily against each other. I think it's just the way we put them together that tends to conflict and we try to tokenize some of indigenous knowledge and like, oh, let's just put this in there, you know, and also it looks like, you know, we're, you know, presenting an equal um, front, but usually that's not the case. And I think it's just the mindsets and, you know, if we're doing things together in terms of maybe projects or community work or even in policy, you know, that's reflecting our public policy and all of that, that everyone has an equal voice and is heard and that it reflects in the process. So, I don't know, I think it's just being open to the fact that we should accept things and not, you know, people try to fight what they don't understand, you know, and I don't know. We'll figure that out, and when we do, we'll let you know. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So, um, the Western way, of course, you know, the history of colonization in Canada, I don't really need to go in detail with that one, but I think... um, when I look at this question or when I look at, when I think about it again from my own sense is that um, far too long uh, the mainstream has uh, tried to impose different programs, different policies, different services, whatever it might be, um, into communities, um, into our grassroots communities, um, with, even within our own, even with this urban, the urban community. Um, I think what needs to occur um, is that our grassroots people do have that knowledge, do have the skills, do have um, the capacity to know what is going to work for their communities. Um, And I think we need to learn to, um, the mainstream world needs to learn to not be so imposing on the communities and saying, this is what's going to help you, this is what you need, uh, based on research that has been done. Um, I think that with um, with bridging indigenous way and then the mainstream way, um, again, we already live in a society 
where there's technology, where there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, mainstream um, stuff that are occurring, um, banks and, you know, whatever you may have it. So within communities, like, you know, if there's, you know, some, we still have, we still are, have been forced to live in, you know, we, so we can't go back to what it was before. I understand that. But I also do uh, really, um, truly believe that we need to as well, um, allow our communities to to um, envision what they would like to see in their community and provide that space and that um, that opportunity for them to not to be bombarded by something and rushed or to sign agreements and so on and so forth and as well um, you know I understand that you know if there's something that's in the community like you know we do need to understand the systems of um, the mainstream way whether it be, you know, a corporations act, if you're, you know, developing a nonprofit, whether it be, you know, the business um, side of things, whether it be gap from accounting principles, right? So because we still, when we we're doing things in the community based on programs, based on services, based on, you know, the financial stuff, we still do need to understand that knowledge as well. Um, so in saying that um, communities um, and mainstream yeah, we do need to, we need to understand each other, each other's knowledge systems, um, because that's just, you know, the way the world is now. Um, like I always think that, oh, I wish I was born like a hundred years ago because, <laughs> you know, it just seemed so peaceful back then, but you know, you know, again, we're, we're here today though. Hey, so we have to, so that's the thing is, is that that's where I see that, um, we need to, we need to respect one another. We need to, um, you know, know that we we do have both have something to bring to the table um and uh be very humble about it and so not to you know step on each other's toes but to work with one another because that's the circular model there's no top down there's like we're all here together so let's let's figure something out in a respectful way great so just in closing i just want to find out um also Jen, if there's anything else you wanted to say about the program um, in any way, did we did we miss anything or we covered what you I guess what you thought or um, in closing, um, like the Masters in Development pro- program um, is as well uh, it's learning as well along the way. It's learning from every cohort that's coming in. It's learning how um, to to adapt to different things as well, um, because you have you know many indigenous communities coming in, many um, different uh, points of view perspectives coming in. So um, and as well as um, it's it's quite a an intense course load, and it's quite an intense um, you know you're 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 very. You're living and breathing MDP, let me just say that. You go yeah. to bed thinking about MDP, you wake up thinking about MDP. And so I think there's um, going to be some changes in uh, 2016 um, that are going to take into effect um, a lot of what the students have been saying and a lot of what um, the Indigenous Advisory has been saying. So there's going to be um, some shift, um, some shift in the program, and so that will be coming in 2016. And so just wanted to, you know, Look forward to to um, the new students being able to um, adapt to that new system. Um, there's not a lot of changes. It's just, um, I guess, um, some program changes, some course changes. Um, you're allowed to take some electives where you know. Right now, we're we're required to take certain courses, and we have to stick to those courses. So there's some changes coming, and so just to look forward to that. Prior to the coursework starting, uh, there's an orientation piece, um, and uh, since its inception, um, MDP has been um, um, partnering up with uh, Fisher River First Nation. And what, what occurs is that when I was doing my orientation, we went to Fisher River for a week. And we were able to um, learn from their elders and then visit all their programs, um, from the health to the education. And as well, we um, were able to stay in uh, their, their youth cabin, uh, which the youth um, are the ones that, you know, run it. And so we're able to learn right off the hop, get put in the same building and learn and, and, and get to know each other. And that's the very first uh, um, interaction we get with our, our cohort. Um, so when I came, you know, I had person from um, a couple people from Africa. 
um, Ghana, which is in Africa. That's what I said. That's what I'm learning. Because before I thought Africa was like this big country. <laughs> I'm like, okay, everything's Africa. Then it's like, no, Ghana. And so that's why when they talk about their indigenous community, they have different tribes, different cultures. different. different. So it, it's, it's really interesting. Um, but that's where we were able to, you know, first um, just be able to develop that first relationship. And it, it, it's a good way because, you know, it's not so intense. It's not coursework. It's just like getting to know each other and getting to know different teachings um, from the um, from the traditional teachers and as well, you know. Um, so being able to engage in with another in a positive, good way right off the hop. So yeah. <laughs> um, I guess with the Master's Development Practice Indigenous Development Program, we have the opportunity to... Uh, um, get uh, scholarships and bursaries that assist us with our tuition because our tuition is very um, large. Oh, yeah. It's about over 19000 So it alleviates a lot of um, when um, we do um, have the opportunity to have those scholarships. Um, students are are told that, you know, you 50% of um, your tuition will be paid through scholarships. So you know, or more. So it's not, no one's below 50. So right now it's, that's how it is. So I think that that really, you know, helps a lot um, because of, you know, the the very large amount of scholarships that are offered and towards the tuition. So I think that's important to to grasp in there that, 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 that we have that opportunity. And, you know, we're very, I'm very grateful for the for the different um, places that have, have given me that opportunity and um, have uh, up their corporate social responsibility to providing that <laughs> that um, incentive as well for some. And then there's philanthropists that give um, money. And so it's, it's really it's really amazing to be able to uh, say that I've, I've, I've been given this scholarship. Um, so, because this year I got the Duff Roblin. So to be able to be in the room with, with Judge Murray Sinclair when he... Um, was given the the Duff Roblin Award, and as well as another um, student from the Indigenous Studies, um, and our, you know, showcased our videos there. So it was really an honor because you know, uh, first time ever meeting Carolyn, uh, what do you call her, Honorable Carolyn Bennett, and she was there, and you know, she's to me everyone's just the, just the same at the same level, but you know, to be able to. Get, get get a handshake and say, you know, congratulations and, you know, be able to hug Duff Robin's daughter <laughs> to say that, you know, I'm so honored to be given this this uh, scholarship. So I think that that's important to, 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 to throw in there. Well, thank you so much for coming in. It was such a pleasure to meet you guys. And that's all for this episode of Thunder Radio. I just want to thank Vanessa and Adesawa for visiting us. It was very inspiring to hear about their work. And when I meet young people like them, I feel like the future is in good hands. We hope you enjoyed listening and be sure to tune in next time.